Sometimes I leave the clapping bits in because it's actually funnier than the rest of the show. This isn't the first time that you've been on the show, though, is it? No, no, because I... Wait, are we recording? Like, are we doing this now? Yeah, well, this is it. This is the show. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I spoke to Anna probably about a year ago, actually. No. Yeah, a year ago. It was when I was on holiday. Yeah, and it was just before I spoke at industry, so it was a year ago. Wow. Time flies. So, welcome, Ashley Baxter. Thank you for having me, Andrew Clark. That's just so that people know who you are. Not that they, you know, that they wouldn't know. Well, they wouldn't know. But people complained when I didn't put who was on the show in the show notes or at the beginning, so... Why wouldn't you do that? How did you expect people to know who the person was? Well, I kind of didn't, really. I thought it was funnier that they didn't, that they just, like, eavesdropped on a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, yeah. You're weird. Can you remember how we met? Yeah, can I, can I, do you want to tell the story or shall I? No, you tell the story. Well, I remember just having stumbled out of my bed. I can't remember what day it was. It was a weekday and taking my dog a walk to go and get some coffee. And we were walking up Finiston Street and you walked in past. Glasgow, in where Glasgow, where I live. And you walked past and I remember thinking, because I'd seen you speak at conferences, and I remember thinking, that guy looks like Andy Clark. But you and I had never spoken. We, we didn't follow each other on Twitter or anything. And then my dog decided that you smelled like bacon or something, and she lunged towards you and had a good sniff. Um, and then I tweeted that either, well, I tweeted that, that your doppelganger was in Glasgow, and it turns out that it was you. And then we became friends. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Because I was working at the time, I was doing a lot of work up at STV, over the road from your house. Mm-hmm. Although you should mention about you doing that scary zipline thing. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Because, yeah, I'd been there about two days up at STV. They were doing their annual appeal. And I was trying to, you know, fit in. I was trying to <laughs> be friendly with them. Um, and then mentioned doing this scary zipline thing right the way across the Clyde from one of those massive cranes across the way, <laughs> all the way across the river, back to the STV building. And like a buffoon, I said, oh, I'd be, I'll do that. I'm up for that. <laughs> Without really thinking that, you know, you had to go up 150 feet or something and climb this crane and then zip wire down. But it was brilliant. No, I would never do that ever. It was fabulous. So, um, I was actually sensibly dressed, but there were people doing it in fancy dress. I remember one girl was doing it dressed as Supergirl, which was quite fun. Were there celebrities there? No, I don't think there was. I mean, all that time up in Glasgow, and I don't think I saw a single celebrity, apart from the weatherman, and I, forget, I forgot his name, the STV oh, weatherman. is it Sean Batty or something Sean like that? Batty, that's it. He's a proper celebrity. He's about the only person that I met that could be considered. I mean, you know, I didn't see Lorraine Kelly. <laughs> it's so funny you said that in a Scottish accent. You have to. <laughs> Lorraine Kelly. Um, but you gave me a tour of the, the studio, didn't you? And it was amazing. That was what inspired me to actually stop working from home because it was just great to be in the company of other people and see other people working together. Well, you've been working, uh, is it Toad's Caravan you work in now? 
Yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? The name's a bit strange. It doesn't really give anything away. Um, but it's just a, a, a sort of collective... It's a studio. We're all freelancers. We all work for ourselves. We all do different things, but we all just rent a desk in there on a monthly basis and get a bit of company. Um, I was going to do that, you know, with Dan Davis. Yeah. When my friend Dan was still freelancing, we did talk about getting a little you know, studio together. This was like before we hired designer sue so you know things have changed anyway but um we actually thought about that because it does get really lonely and miserable when you're on your yeah. own the whole time. every day's the same there's nothing to differentiate it like nobody can be there to make you laugh or show you silly videos on youtube that they've found every day is the same it's kind of depressing but but then you get some people who are die hard fans of working from home because they get so much more done so it just depends on the individual i think one thing that STV taught me was just how much time people that go to an office waste. I yeah. mean, I don't work there anymore, so I can probably say, but I've never been in a place where they have so many meetings. I mean, they must have had, everybody must have had like four meetings a day. They would disappear no for you know a couple of hours. Yeah. How do you get anything done then? I have no idea how a lot of people get anything done. In fact, they just stopped inviting me. Mm, maybe you should send them the 37 Signals book that says about how meetings are a waste of time. They need to read that. Is that Rework? I think it's that one. They've got a few mm. out, don't they? But yeah, they should read that. But lots of people, they love the kind of co-working thing. Obviously, the famous one being the Studio Mates guys out in Brooklyn. Yeah. I've never been there, have you? No, I've never been there either. Um, I'm not cool enough, to be no. honest. No, I'm, I'm too old and crusty to, to fit into Brooklyn, I think. Ooh, that's not a nice word, crusty. <laughs> dusty, prefer dusty. <laughs> but no, I'd like it. I think so. It's been different since we've had somebody working here. I've, I've felt different and, you know, more inspired. Is that Monday to Friday type of thing? Uh, no, Sue works uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right, so you still have a bit of time by yourself, which is, is fine. Yeah, and I do actually like that. You know, it gets to a, a kind of a Friday afternoon and I, I sit and record this and it's a nice kind of quiet end to the day. She's actually been working today because we had a, a client project that needed to be finished. But uh, that makes a difference. But in the past, I, I used to think, oh, I wonder who around here we could get a, a space with. Mm, and, um, and Wales. You're in Wales, aren't you? Mm. So you're too far from Craig's Founders Hub that he just launched. Well, that's down in South Wales. So, yeah, that's about a five-hour drive from here. No way. Is... is that how big Wales is? Well, it's not the fact that it's big, but there's no main uh, road links between North and South Wales. It literally is. You, you've got two choices. You can either go into England and go down the motorway, or you can take the country roads that go over the moors, and it takes hours. Hours okay, and hours well, and hours. It'd be like driving for you. It'd be like you driving to Aberdeen. Yeah, not that I've ever done that. No, I've never been to Aberdeen. I've been to Dundee once. I've never been there either. Is it nice? I was only ever there for a day. I went to see the publishers of, and you're going to have to tell me who it is now, but it was the people that published Ur Willy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you go and see them, Ur, Ur Willy? Why did you go see them? 
Well, this is the this is the strange thing, and this kind of leads into our topic for the day, really. But um, they were interested in digital photography, and this was something that I did a long time ago. You know, right at the beginning of the digital photography game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were thinking about setting up a studio and I went to talk to them about that. So I flew up from London and, uh, and went up there. What was their office like? Was it impressive? Do you know what? I can't remember now. Uh, no, I don't think it was. I think it was in one of those kind of, um, granite buildings that hadn't changed much since about the 1950s, I think. I was about to ask if they had a giant Willy statue, but that just sounds wrong. <laughs> I remember because I grew up in Corby, which was kind of, you know, it was full of Scots. And I remember our next door neighbour used to, that's what she used to give us for Christmas because, you know, she was very Scottish. And uh, she would, she'd come around and she'd give us like the Urwelly annual for that year. Yeah. But they don't really do that anymore. You don't hear of anybody reading those things anymore. I don't know mm. if they're still in business or not. I doubt that anybody in England actually knows what Urwelly is anyway. Really? No, nobody. But does. but they know what Iron Brew is, right? They have to. So it's just it's just as famous as that. I exhausted Glasgow's supply of fiery Iron Brew. I haven't seen that for a few years now. I think that you did actually exhaust it because it was only limited edition, limited time. And I used to oh. stop off on my way home. I used to stop off at the the wee shop opposite. Glasgow Central Station and literally fill my suitcase with as many cans of fiery iron brew as I can because it was delicious. Were you not worried that it would give you cellulite? You can probably tell by that long pause. No, I never thought about cellulite. All right. Well, that's why I don't drink fizzy drinks. But anyway. So, yeah, I thought that today, apart from, you know, uh, apart from just general chit chat, we wouldn't talk about business so much, but we not directly. I thought that we'd talk about something that we both love, but something that you're better at than me. No, I'm... Uh, weightlifting. Weightlifting, yeah. Let's talk about that. Actually, no, because I'm rubbish at weightlifting. If you weigh if you weigh 12 stone, I could actually lift you up. But it's a bit rude to ask somebody what they weigh. Let's, let's move on. Let's um, not... Yeah, I'm slightly heavier than, <laughs> than, than you could probably pick me up. But let's talk about photography. Let's, because I love photography. I know. And you do photography as a hobby because you love it. Is it. Do you still call them hobbies? Yeah, but the weird thing is I finally have started to, to tell people that I do photography semi-professionally. So I've kind of moved away from saying it's just a hobby because it, it, it is a source of income for me now. So, yeah, I see, but it still feels a bit dirty saying semi-professional. I think that's a really nice way of putting it, actually. It's, it's difficult to pinpoint because, obviously, if you do deal with clients, people book you for weddings, and I've worked with big clients as well who don't necessarily know that I don't do it full-time. It's just difficult to strike a balance between, because I think I got a lot of work based off of the fact that it was just a hobby and people could see that I loved photography and I took photos all the time and I was passionate about it and that naturally started getting me work. But now I'm getting bigger clients who think that that's what I do full time. It's a bit scary. I don't know whether to turn around and say, actually, I'm semi, semi-professional. I don't know. It's difficult, but, but fun. Where would you draw the line then? You, you would be a professional if you weren't making your money from it full time. 
Yeah, if I, because obviously, so I would say that if I did it full time, I would be a professional photographer, but because I juggle it with my other job, that's why I say semi-professional. And I think that semi-professional photographers are becoming more and more common because DSLRs are so accessible now. So many people buy them and then accidentally transition into being a semi-professional photographer. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I'm just wondering about the word semi rather than part-time. Well, I guess it could be the same thing, part-time professional. I don't know. It probably doesn't matter too much. But it's cool because I think that, well, being able to turn something that you love doing into a way to earn money is a good thing or can be a good thing. Yeah. Unless it gets to the point where you, where actually you stop enjoying it because you're maybe doing it too much or you're not doing the things that you like to shoot, I suppose. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yes. There's a fine line, definitely, but everybody's different. For me, because I make a point of not booking any more than 10 weddings a year. And then obviously I know professional photographers who do between 30 to 50 weddings a year. And I'm thinking, how can you do that and still enjoy photography? So again, I guess it just depends on the individual. But um, I I think if I did any more than 10 a year, I would probably end up hating it, to be honest. And that's not what we want. You must get really good at dealing with drunken uncles. Um, hmm. What's the best story? Oh, no, I don't have any interesting stories, actually. Not that I can think of. Um, you do get, if when you're there as a photographer, you do get chatted up, unfortunately. And it's always the munters that chat me up. <laughs> Do you know what that word means? No. No, I, I no, that's not a Scottish word that I've ever heard. Oh, well, it just means an, somebody who isn't very attractive. But no, I've seen quite cute things like the, the, the husband and, and wife get their kids to perform a dance routine and stuff that's quite coordinated and very cute. But no, nothing. I've, oh, and I've, I've shot a wedding where the dog delivered the rings, which was quite amazing. And the dog was in all of the photos as well. It, that, in fact, yeah, that, that's probably the best story I have, is that the dog delivered the, the rings down the, the aisle. That's actually pretty cute. It was very cute. And if I was to ever get married, not that I will, but if I was to ever get married, not that I will, but if I was, then Indy, my dog, would deliver the rings. I think she should give you away. Yeah, I do too, actually. That could work. But when you, you, so you have a background in photography um, and you, in a different way to me, obviously it was a source of income for you, but did you ever do it the way that I'm doing it? Like, did you ever pick up clients and do the actual photography weddings or anything like that? Uh, No, not really, because I took a slightly different path. Uh, I got into photography when I was at art school because I really liked the process you know, I liked developing and printing um, as much as I like shooting. And when I left art school, and, you know, I got a degree, but it wasn't a particularly good one. I wasn't the kind of guy that was, you know, going to go off and live in a squat and do art. I needed mm-hmm. to get a job. Mm-hmm. So 
I decided that I was going to move down from Nottingham to London and because that's where all the work was. And I was going to go and work in a photographic studio. That's what I cut. So I, you know, I, I trawled my art school portfolio, uh, around a whole bunch of photographers and studios. And I ended up my first job straight out of uni was actually, uh, a studio assistant in a car studio in London. Cool. This was the kind of place it was in. It was in Bermondsey. Sounds very cool, but actually wasn't. Um, they had five big car stages and for anybody maybe haven't seen them, but basically a big car studio is, it's like being in the inside of an egg. There are no straight edges. The, 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 the room has a cove. It has a curved edges, curved corners, curved ceiling so that you can literally point massive, great tungsten or flashlights and bounce the light off the white painted cove. And that way you get kind of seamless reflections in the body of a car. And wow. literally these stage, these stages were amazing. When, when you're on the inside, you, you couldn't see perspective. There was, there was no horizon. It was amazing. Did you do any of the shitting? No, never. But, I mean, at the time, uh, car photography was, you know, it was a big part of the industry. Lots and lots and lots of money got spent on car st- uh, photography. So I would see very good, you know, probably the best British car photographers would come in. People like, uh, let me think, Jeff Senior or Keith Shillito. These were, you know, pretty famous car photographers because it's a very specialized game lighting a car. It's not, it's not like lighting anything else. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I would, my job as a studio assistant was basically to fetch and carry and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, fetch, there's a lot of fetching, a lot of carrying, lots of getting tea, um, lots of painting. This was the biggest thing. These coves needed painting like literally every day. There couldn't be a mark on them because, you know, somehow that will get reflected in the body of the car. Mm-hmm. Did it inspire you? Yeah, no, I loved it actually. And, um, it gave me more stories than anything else. It was amazing. Bearing in mind, this was about 1989. So nobody was, was doing anything digital. Even, um, the idea of, of scanning in and retouching something was, wasn't on the horizon at that point. Any retouching was either done, um, literally with a scalpel, um, or it was, it was done by incredibly expensive, uh, processing computers, something like, uh, I think Dicomed was one. And, you know, these things cost a hundred thousand pounds back then, you know, for what was effectively Whoa. a 486 PC. So what they used to do to, for example, if you, you saw a car and it looked like the wheels were spinning, what they used to do was they used to, um, shoot one exposure. It was all done in camera. They'd, they'd shoot one exposure, jack the car up, turn the wheel a quarter turn, drop it down, shoot another one jack the car up, shoot another exposure, and then they shoot four, possibly eight exposures. To make it look like it was, it was moving really quickly. Exactly, because a lot, of the th- a lot of the ads that you'd see in magazines would be the car kind of, you know, coming down a swoop, coming down as if it was coming around the corner on a track. Um, so they wanted the wi- – and that was obviously retouched, but they would want the, uh, the wheels to look like they were moving, and that's how you did it. Yeah, and that's so different to now because I have a weird story about somehow I ended up being in a photograph that was used in some kind of classic Ford magazine or something. And I was, I was, um, sitting in this car 
And the way that the photographer shot it made me look like the car was doing 120 miles an hour, but it was doing five miles an hour. And how he did it was, obviously things have changed and it was all digital. He had, there must be like a proper name for it, but he basically had a metal pole attached to the car and extending right out. And then just shot it with a really slow shutter speed as the car moved. And it made it look like I was driving this car doing 120 miles an hour. So completely different to how they used to do it with film. Mm. Now, this, these, these were all, um, it was five by four, 10 by eight plate cameras, you know, big bellows cameras, um, that we used to use. I remember doing one shoot. It was for, uh, this is how old it is. It was a Fiat Tipo. Ever heard of one of those? No. It was a, it was a wee Fiat. And the whole idea was that the car was supposed to look like it was right on the very top of a mountain on the point. So what we did was uh, the set designer basically wanted the car up on like a scaffold tower. So we built like a scaffold rig. And then, believe it or not, I was the only person in the building that had a forklift truck driver's license. No way. So Have you done everything? No, but now I'm old. So I have, I have you know, I collect things as I go. So what I had to do is I had to lift this car up onto the thing. And it was only like, you know, lifting it up five feet. It wasn't like it had to go up 40 feet. You know, I had to like go up a little bit, but it was really nerve wracking lifting this bloody car. Mm-hmm. And then what they did was they, they cut huge, big slabs of polystyrene, you know, big kind of eight foot by six foot, um, big slabs of poly. And they would carve it with, uh, with like a hot wire to make it look like rocks. And then they would paint it. So it looked as though the car was sitting on top of this, you know, rocky outcrop. Wow. And then there was a, there was a sky that was painted. Now today we would just like, you know, go online, find a a picture of a sky, you know, like a nice sunset and it would be done in Photoshop. Back then it took a set painter an entire week to paint a sunset on the cove itself. Um, and it was all done with spray guns and layers and layers of paint. That's crazy. Finally, they wanted this mist to go all around the car. So what they did was they made, and I'm not making this up, they made clouds out of chicken wire and covered them in cotton wool and then clamped them to shopping trolleys. So one of my jobs was to go out that day to the local supermarket and come back with like 10 trolleys, like steal them. Oh my god! <laughs> and so I'm like pushing la 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 la, pushing these, uh, these shopping trolleys down the high street. Anyway, so what we did was they put they clamped these clouds to the shopping trolleys, and then literally about eight people just moved the shopping trolleys around in the shot, like huddled down, um, with a really long exposure of like a minute or two, just to create this mist, and that's how we did it. Well, you must look at digital photographers now and think that we have it so easy. These were the days where I remember, and he's, I don't know whether he's still going now, but Jeff Senior uh, used to be, I remember this because it was like the gossip around the studio. He, he was £5,000 a day in 1989. Whoa, no way. The, mo- the money that got spent on, and that didn't include studio hire, set building, film and processing, None of that. It was, that was just literally his fee. Um, and the other thing that photographers used to do was they used to hire everything. They never, I don't think Jeff actually owned anything. He didn't own a camera. Everything oh. used to be rented. Oh, I don't like that. 
If it was rented, though, he could charge it. He could, like, he charged the rental onto the client. Fair enough, but what? But that confuses me. I mean, that, does that mean that this man didn't shoot for fun because he didn't have a camera at hand to pick up when he felt inspired? Well, he probably did, but it was, you know, obviously a little 35 mil. These, you know, we're talking about huge, great plate cameras. So, you know, he probably didn't own one of those himself. But this was years ago, you know, years ago. So I suppose now, you know, yeah, it is easy. And I don't know. I don't know anything about the photography game anymore. It's probably changed beyond, you know, well, even when I was last in, in the photography game was about 96, 97. So, and I imagine things have really changed. But you're quite a keen iPhone photographer and Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, no, I see. I, I, I love to do it. It's the, it's the, it's my thing that makes me switch off. You know, we've, we've just come back from holiday. We've just had a, a wee trip to the South in America. I spoke at a conference and then, uh, we had a couple of weeks off. What was it? Well, how do you say that place? Charleston. Charleston. Yeah. Charleston is, uh, a really famous, uh, civil war city in America. It's where, it's where the, the American civil war started basically. And that's where you went on holiday. Well, it was part of it. We did a little, a little mini road trip. Um, cool. but one of the, the things about the South, particularly after the civil war was, um, at the end of the Civil War, as the Yankees swept south, basically, because, you know, they'd won the war and they were occupying the, the southern states, was that pretty much everything that was there at the time, they destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. they, they flattened most of the south, um, whereas I think it was General Sherman had fallen in love with some of those southern cities like Savannah and Charleston and actually said, you know, to gave a direct order not to actually burn them which means right. that now because nothing in america is very old but in that part of the world you know you've still got places that i was photographing that you know were built in 1720 wow i love that i love walking around places like that shooting i i, I wish that i was better at it but that um, doesn't that just come down to simply doing it more often isn't that how anybody gets better at anything no, you're absolutely right. And I need to make more time to actually, you know, get out there. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, it's, it's just an excuse. You know, I think, oh, well, I, I couldn't go out today because I was working. But I actually discovered, talking about Instagram, I discovered a guy that lives in the next village. I'll put a link to his Instagram feed in the notes. Um, he lives in the next village and he is so prolific. And, you know, every morning he seems to be up at the crack of dawn out there photographing the, you know, the beautiful landscape we have here. Mm, yeah. There's no reason I can't do that. There's no reason you I could, can't get up. Could you not make friends with him and have a wee photo buddy? Well, no, I did think about it, but it's a bit weird though, isn't it? No. Like, Making friends hello? through the internet. <laughs> I guess it depends how you go about it. I have exchanged comments with him. I've noticed that he's, you know, he's favorited a couple of my pictures and I've favorited a couple of his pictures, but that doesn't mean we're going out or anything. Yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't really have any problem with getting in touch with people that I barely know on the web and being like, hey, can we go take photos? I mean, I pretty much did that with Dan Rubin. Let's talk about your photo walk and, and Mr. Rubin in a minute. Okay. 
Can we do a sponsor? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about our first sponsor this week. It's Gather Content. So Gather Content helps people who build websites to work with their clients to plan, organize, and collaborate on web content. So I bet anyone who's ever made a website for a client or maybe for their company, you're going to know what I mean when I say that planning and gathering and organizing, collaborating on content is one of the trickiest parts of any project because people email you stuff in Word or Excel and you know, maybe even PowerPoint because those are the kind of applications that normal people use every day. And then what we have to do is we have to trawl through what's often multiple documents, cutting and pasting what's useful out of them. And you have to keep track of everything. People send you the same stuff twice, just in case. And then you have to store stuff. You know, my Dropboxes just end up gigabytes and gigabytes full of client content. And then there's finding some way to collaborate over changes, because I often edit client copy because, you know, often it's terrible. But also because I'm really picky about the content that goes into what I design. So then I have to tell them what I've changed, and all of that stuff can take longer than designing the actual website. So working with content can be a nightmare, and that's where Gather Content comes in. It's a web application that helps you keep all of your content in one place. You can collaborate with clients on changes, and then you can get approval when you need it. Gather Content breaks content down to help you guide clients and copywriters through what needs to be written. And then when you're done, you just export that already approved content directly into a CMS using one of their plugins or the API. So they've set up a special page just for listeners for the show. It's unfinished.bz slash gather content. And even better, if you sign up through that page and you use the discount code unfinished, you'll get, wait for this, 20% off the subscription to gather content. And that's forever. That's not just like a limited deal. That's forever. That's an amazing deal. That's gather content. And I might be wrong, but I'm sure that they originally started in Scotland. Sure they did. Now that I can't tell you. I'm 97.5% sure. Which is a bonus. I'll ask them. If you're me. Yeah. We'll talk about photography, but before we get onto that, actually, I just want to mention something that's sort of related to that. And it's another connection between you and me because the last time I think we saw each other was at the handheld conference in Cardiff last November. Yeah. And you took some pretty fabulous photographs of the speakers, including me (laughs) and John Hicks pushing the Dalek on stage, which was classic. That was fun. It was like the, one of the most surreal things that's ever happened to me. In fact, probably the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me at a conference. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the talk that followed it was pretty surreal too. I loved that though. I really, I've talked about it on the show before. I love that talk that Ling did. It was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Anyway, handheld was a pretty fantastic event. And I know that a lot of people were surprised when Craig who organized it announced that last year was the final handheld. Yeah. Well, this year, This year, he's replacing it with something better, and it's a new conference that he's called The Web Is. And he sent me some information about it, which I think is great. This isn't going to be just another web conference. It's going to be more like a show. It's going to be a celebration of the web over two days, and there's some pretty incredible speakers already lined up. 
And every talk is going to be about what the web is to that speaker, which is a really cool idea. So here's a quick rundown of the two days. We've got Gary Vaynerchuk on the web is the biggest cultural shift of all time. We've got our friends Brad Frost and Ethan Marcotte on the web is progress and home. Scott Jensen, Karen Alazari, Mike Kuss. Uh, Mike Kuss is a really good photographer. Oh, yeah. I follow him on Instagram. He does some awesome stuff. And then you've got uh, Linda Lucas, Robin Christofferson on The Web is Turning Difficult into Opportunities, Jim Douglas, Andy Davis, Chris Murphy, and, wait for it, wait for it, the one and only Steve Wozniak. Can you Crazy. believe that? They've got Steve Wozniak. I think Craig is magical. He must have some magical persuasion powers because, I mean, Steve Wozniak, who can believe that? So there's going to be some workshops too, although they're actually not announced yet, but you never know. There might, you might learn a thing or two about responsive CSS from a really handsome Englishman <laughs> with a beard. Possibly. Not sure who that could be. <laughs> um, I lost my connection for most of that, so I don't know what you said, but I'm really excited about the web is. Um, it sounds amazing. It's going to be great. And the web is, is happening at the Motorpoint Arena in Cardiff in Wales on the 30th and 31st of October 2014. Uh, the workshops are going to be on the day before if you want to learn about CSS from a handsome chap with a beard. Uh, <laughs> standard tickets. I've got to get that in. Standard tickets are just £290 plus VAT. And this is cool. There are 200 premium tickets that are available and they give you access to things like premium seating, access to the Founders Hub Lounge, and you get to go to the after show meet and greet with the speakers, which means you get to shake Steve Wozniak's hand. Is that who you would be most excited about? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it would be Gary Vaynerchuk for me. He's He's a legend. So these are first come, first served. Uh, The premium tickets, they're 340, so it's not much extra. 50 quid extra, I think it's a bargain. And that's what I bought for everybody here. And this is a great thing about Craig. He's doing student tickets too. You know, if you're a full-time student, you're in full-time education, you can get a ticket to the event for 50 quid plus VAT, which is such a great thing to do. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to unfinished.bz slash the web is to get yours. And if you use the offer code unfinished, you'll get 10% off those already amazing prices. So yeah, the web is you're going to be doing, a little bird tells me you're the official photographer. I really hope so. I keep cutting out. So if I, if it sounds like I'm lost in the conversation, then Scotland only got the internet like a week ago. But anyway, yeah, I, I hope so. I really hope so. That would be the best gig ever. Oh my goodness. I really wanted to give a talk. I was going to call it the web is soylent green. Okay. But you don't know what, you don't know which film I'm talking about, do you? No. What? Have you never, have you never seen the 1973 Charlton Heston movie Soylent Green? No, I've never even heard of it. Okay, okay. okay. Send, send me your iTunes ID and I shall gift you that film. <laughs> really? But wait, wait. You know me, I like uh, 70s sci-fi. But it, oh wait, sci-fi? I hate sci-fi. Oh God. But you play video games, they're all about sci-fi. No. And, and is it in colour or is it black and white? It's colour because we did have colour in 1973, I'll have you know. 
Okay, well, I might watch it then. <laughs> anyway, that's what I was going to do. The web is soiling green. It was going to be my talk, but anyway, he didn't think that was a good idea. Let's talk about mm-hmm. this amazing thing that you did a week yeah. or was it a week or two ago? It was, um, gosh, it wasn't even a week ago. It was on Sunday that just passed. Yeah, Glasgow Photo Walk, which is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Well, having been to Glasgow and, you know, actually, I don't think I really shot much apart from what was on my phone. Such a great place to go and take photos. It's really great for photography, actually. I've had I've had somebody email me recently to say that they, they gosh, where are they from? Can't remember now. Somewhere abroad. And they said that the only reason they came to complete their study in Glasgow was because of my photos, which was crazy. But yeah, it's so great to shoot. Um, Did you ever go through to the, did you ever go to the east end of Glasgow, kind of merchant city area? Because that's the oldest part of Glasgow. So many great buildings and old signage there. I love Glasgow. It has such a bad reputation as well. I really enjoyed my time there. I mean, I used to, I used to look forward to going and I, I had a great time. I always used to stay in the same hotel, the same little skanky three-star place up on um, Socky Hall Street. And you never got beaten up, did you? I never got beaten up once. And I used to carry, you know, all my gear around with me, walking up and down. I used to actually really like, you know, getting up in the morning and walking to work. It was like, what, three quarters of a mile from the hotel down to STV. Mm -hmm. I used to love it. Yeah. No, I never felt unsafe in Glasgow at all, except... One night when, towards the end, I went to see Judge Dredd at the cinema down... Is it on George Street? What was the cinema called? Uh, Cineworld, downtown. Oh, yeah. And I literally walked out of there, and somebody from one of the buildings opposite threw a glass bottle across the street, <gasps> and it landed literally at my feet. And Why did s- they do that? Well, God, I don't know. Probably I look like a good target. And it literally, it missed my head by about three inches. Maybe they knew you were English. It wasn't, yeah, it could possibly be. Anyway, I just walked out of this film, which was, you know, where there was a lot of kind of, you know, violence and, and, and death. And I walked out and somebody's throwing bottles at me and, and I couldn't tell that I'd actually left the film. Oh, but you still got home safely. Yeah, I took a cab, actually. I thought, I'm not walking now. I'm going to get in a taxi. <laughs> But that was the I loved Glasgow. So tell me about this, the photo walk. How did that come about? Well, I think that the best way to learn photography is by getting out and about and taking photos. And it helps if you do that with somebody who's a bit more experienced with their camera. Um, and I'd known that people were interested in it because I attend or don't really attend it anymore just because of time. But I used to go to a, a monthly meetup for web people called Refresh in Glasgow And a couple of people there had said they had a camera, they didn't really know how to use it. And I I said, well, would you be interested in a photo walk? And it's kind of crazy how, well, it took me about seven months to finally get around to doing it. Um, But the interest was phenomenal because this photo walk that I did on Sunday also ran alongside a workshop with Dan Rubin. And... I've never organized anything before. I've never, there's nothing like this in Glasgow already. It was really difficult to know if there would be an interest, um, how much to price the tickets. It was all completely unknown, but 
um, they all sold out really quickly within three days and people were traveling from Inverness and even England. It was crazy. So there will definitely be more. I saw you had somebody come up from Brighton. Yeah, would that be Relly? Is Relly from be Brighton? Relly. Yeah, she's from Brighton, yeah. That's the first time I've met Relly, and I love Relly. Relly's hysterical. She's such a character. Yeah, I didn't realise. Um, I know I was so grateful that people had travelled that distance. I really hope it was worth it. From the feedback I've had, it was. But next time I would do things differently. We had a big group of 25 people. It was far too much. Um so I would half the number of people who attended and I'd probably double the ticket price. So I would do things a bit differently. But it was a really nice crowd and also seemed to attract um, people who are very new to photography, which was nice because for me it was very, what's the word, um, it was just really satisfying to put on an event where people could leave and say that they'd learned something new or at the very least they had a confidence boost. That was a lovely feeling, you know? I'm sure you get that with your workshops, yeah. actually. Um, yeah, I do, actually. It's one of the nicest things when people, um, I see tweets from people afterwards going, oh, well, I just implemented something that I learned at one of Andy's workshops. So, yeah, no, I love that. So what was the general format then? Because this thing was a whole day. Yeah, well, it was, uh, what was it? I think it ended up running longer than we'd expected. So it started at 11 and I think maybe about half five People started leaving for the pub, of course. But yeah, we all gathered in Toad's Caravan. So very appreciative of them for letting me use the space. And um, Dan just started off by giving a bit of an introduction to photography and the basics and showed a photographer that he loves. And uh, because it was um, surprisingly sunny for once in Glasgow, we all tried to get out as quickly as possible and do the walk. And I'd had quite a long route planned, but just the nature of how it, how it panned out. Um, it was really good to take our time and actually we all started shooting similar things so that when it came back to getting, going back to the, the studio, we all had similar photos to process. But obviously when you get 25 people taking a photo of the same thing, you get 25 different photos. It was quite interesting actually. Um, and yeah, so some people just paired up and edited, learned, um, learned how to use Lightroom a bit, which I don't know what you use for your photos. I use Aperture and to see Lightroom, it looks completely overwhelming. What do you use? Well, you see, I don't really do the whole raw thing. I mean, I, I still shoot JPEG for my stuff and I edit in Photoshop. Um, and right. it's one of the things that because it feels quite daunting, um, I think I even have Aperture somewhere. I think I bought it when it was on offer. Um, but I don't use it because it feels like it's kind of like a step that I don't know how to take yet. So coming to a workshop like this and actually seeing somebody, um, use it and, you know, and understanding the workflow, um, particularly mm -hmm. when it comes to things like raw, um, I think that would be a huge, a huge step. I haven't, I haven't done any real post-processing stuff. It's one of the things that, um, I, I try to keep the photos as, as kind of natural as I can. I don't like to apply too many filters or, you know, too much jiggery pokery. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, I haven't really got that. It's one of the things that, you know, I would come up and, and want to learn. Well, you should definitely come to definitely going to get Dan back again a few months down the line. So you should definitely, you should definitely come to my, my, my photo walk and workshop. 
Well, you. Yeah, Dan is officially the handsomest man alive right now, I think. Oh, really? Well, what about Daniel Craig? He turns me on. You. So, wait a second. You have a crush on Harry Roberts and Dan Rubin. No, I have a geek crush on Harry Roberts because he's a clever dude. But we have a man um, crush on Dan Rubin. I have a, when he's the handsomest man alive. He's he's like Mister Sexy. You know, when he updated his, <laughs> his his Twitter avatar recently, you know, he upgraded his Twitter avatar. He changed it uh, to to the black and white one that he's got now. And I swear oh, yeah. to God, I swear to God that ten thousand men saw that and shouted, "You!" <laughs> when they saw that, because he's just too handsome. He does look like a James Bond in that avatar or something. Yeah, it's he's just crazily handsome. But uh, no, and he's such a nice guy. So yeah, I will definitely come up to the next one. Um, how much do you charge? Did, did you like have a package price for like the whole the whole thing? I'm so embarrassed by what I charged. Um, but just because it was Glasgow as well, it was so unknown. Uh, generally, you don't see a lot of these things happen, so it was difficult to to gauge. But we sold 25 tickets for 18 pounds, which is nothing. And everybody said that. Everybody who came said that they would have paid so much more for it. But now we know for next time. How did you decide how much to charge? Well, there was really no logical decision behind it. Honestly, it was just a figure kind of plucked out of thin air. What did you charge? Because it's not on the website anymore. Oh, right. Um, It was £18 a ticket. Which is Whoa, nuts. That's because, a... Yeah, it was silly. Because if you go anywhere else for a workshop, a photography workshop, and I was speaking to a woman about this yesterday who runs them in London, they're priced anywhere between £90 and £190. But yeah, the, because I did, the reason that I charged £18 was because I didn't even think for a second that people would think to travel up for this. So I didn't think that I would be targeting. I just thought I'll be targeting people in Glasgow. The truth is I should have priced it way, way higher because I would have filtered out the people who weren't serious about getting better at photography anyway, you know. But now I know for next time. Well, I don't know whether you saw it, but earlier on, it was either early on this year or late last year, I can't remember now. I actually wrote a blog post, which was basically a plea to conference yeah. organizers to host photography workshops. Because, you know, a lot of conferences have workshops attached to them. And, you know, sometimes they're geeky like the ones that I do. Um, sometimes, you know, they're work-related. And sometimes they're completely different. I think you've been to Build, haven't you? Mm-hmm. A few times. And they have workshops there where, you know, coffee grinding. Building. Or I think... Anna went on. Anna, were you on the same axe building workshop as Anna? Oh, I didn't go on any workshops, sadly. I know that Anna did, which is, you know, which is fine. You know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But one of the things that I just really wish that people would do would be to actually host proper photography workshops. Um, and I said, you know, and I, I mentioned you and Dan and Naomi Atkinson and Mike Kuss and I think Rick Nunn would do, you know, a fabulous thing too because, you know, you could learn about uh, composition or, you know, post-processing or lighting. You know, I'd like to learn studio lighting with Rick, for example. You know, I think that'd be amazing. Yeah, it makes sense because there is a big crossover um, with designers and photography. I would say that most designers are at least at least a little bit interested in photography. Um, so it does make sense. Hopefully, they they do more. But I don't think well, I don't think I would be confident enough to do a workshop. It'd be scary. Is it not scary? 
Um, no, well, I don't find it scary. I actually find it much less scarier than doing a conference talk because, you know, you're in a, you're in a room with people that, um, you know, have paid to be there with you, you know, and it's, it's much more kind of informal and you can just talk about what you know best. And I really like workshops, but I was, I said in this blog post that I thought that they would be popular. And you know what? I put here, I've just read what I've written. I said, personally, I'd be happy paying 350 quid for a day. You know, if there was a small group and you got quite a lot of hands on time, I don't think it'd be worth it if there was like 25 people. But if you were in a group with, let's say, I don't know, 15, probably maximum, I think it'd be well worth paying that to get some real proper advice. Well, maybe you're in the minority though. I think that even 36 quid, if you're doubling your current ticket price, it's still too cheap. Yeah, well, I agree with you, um, but we'll, we'll, I'll address that. I've got lots of ideas. Like, I'm going to do something like a walk and a talk as well. Um, I spoke to Tom Welsh. He's a photographer who does all of the tour photography for You, Me at Six. And I had coffee with him recently, and I found him really interesting to talk to. I think that he would do a good talk on how to transition into photography as a career because he's getting he's getting paid to travel the world and take pictures of bands so i want to i have lots of ideas for it workshops and talks and then just your bog standard walk i'm really excited by that me too i'm really excited by it and i and i'll definitely come you know time allowing i'll definitely come up to the next one because you know i haven't seen you for ages and it's nice to come to glasgow and i think that it's just one of the things that i really want to you know i want to get better at you know, I, I, I follow, I don't follow hardly anybody apart from you and I think Zeldman. I really don't follow my friends on Instagram because to be honest, I don't want to see what they're eating and I don't care about their kids. And a lot of yeah. people, you know, that that's what they post. So I tend to follow people that I don't know because I like their photography. Um, I do actually. I follow Dan Rubin and I follow uh, Mike Kuss. Yeah, but Dan does take great photos on Instagram. But this is he's he's a he's a, an inspiration in one way. In that, apart from being you know madly madly handsome, he was <laughs> obviously on Instagram very early um, and built a following very early, and that for him has transitioned into actually doing photography, making money um, from taking photos. Um, and I, I think that's fascinating. You know, Instagram has given him a platform to take him in a different career uh, direction. Yeah, that's that's so inspiring because that could happen to anybody if they had the skill, of course. But the one thing I noticed about Dan, which inspired me, because um, I have a terrible habit of, I put thought into the photos that I take with my DSLR, but I don't put much thought into the photos that I take with my iPhone. But I watched Dan spend ages editing one photo for the for Instagram that he'd taken on his iPhone. He he put so much thought and effort and time into it. And I think that that's what I want to start doing as well. You take it a bit more seriously. Well, let's talk about that a bit more in a minute, but I want to do another sponsor. It's the last sponsor for today. And... That's Hammer for Mac. So you've probably heard me talk about Hammer quite a lot, but that's because you know, I really like it. It's the thing that I use every day. And Hammer for Mac is for people who write HTML. And what does Hammer do? Well, it speeds up your workflow. Hammer compiles SAS and it compiles CoffeeScript, whatever that is. 
And I know there are plenty of other ways that you can do that and other tools that do that, but Hammer's really just getting started. The way that it works is that Hammer takes your project files and compiles them into a build folder that's inside your project. And you keep your development files clean by using things like HTML includes, which are, they're a bit like PHP includes, but they're in HTML. And Hammer has clever paths built in too, so you don't have to write the full path to an image or a script or a style sheet. You just write the file name. And then Hammer finds those files automatically when it compiles and it writes the full paths into your HTML pages. It's, it's amazing. And I've been using Hammer for Mac since the beta, and I use it every day. I love it. There's a free trial available, but seriously, if you write HTML, you should just do yourself a favor, buy yourself a full copy. You're not going to regret it. It's only £16.99 or $23.99 in the Mac App Store, and you can find out more by going to unfinished.bz slash hammer. Woo. But back to photography. Mm-hmm. I think that it's fascinating how somebody like Dan, and yeah, we ought to have him on talking about this, has managed to, and again, it's not that whole thing, you know, like making money from a hobby. It really has taken him to different parts of the world, you know, all around the world, shooting for, you know, for, for big brands, for companies. But it's also got him, I saw a video of him reviewing phone cameras on the Guardian's website, and now he's become their kind of photo consultant. Now, and, and all of this has basically come through shooting brilliant pictures and putting them on Instagram. Yeah, that's where he's built his kind of, uh, his photo brand. And like you say, anyone can do that. That's an, that's a very empowering thing to just take photos for fun and somehow it takes you all over the world and you land really good clients. Like that's what I love about the web as a platform. Does that even make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, it's not just in photography. People have been doing it, you know, since this is the reason why I've been so lucky to travel. Cause you know, I kind of built myself a platform on writing about stuff and then people read it and like it. But I, I find it really nice and interesting in terms of photography because it's, it's sidestepping into something which has traditionally, I mean, I remember going back to the stories, um, you know, back to, working in a studio where the way that you became a photographer that got commercial work was that first of all, you went off to, uh, to be an assistant, you know, you did your apprenticeship mm-hmm. and I knew loads of people, um, that did that. I was friendly with, um, with a lot of photographic assistants, um, people that worked for people like Terry O'Neill and I even met Patrick Litchfield once. I don't know who that is. Lord Litchfield, he's the Queen's cousin, who's also a very famous photographer. I'll, I'll Google him. Yeah, no, you should do. The way that we became, you became a professional photographer is that you did your apprenticeship, you know, you, you assisted people for, for such a long time. And, you know, after that, you'd kind of break off on your own, you'd have built your portfolio. Um, and it took a long time. Yeah tortuous path that people took to become you know a professional photographer whereas now that playing field is you know it's leveled it's gone it's completely changed i mean you know for 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 somebody that has an eye um you know has a real talent for this kind of stuff you know like you and dan and rick that's just just such a brilliant thing yeah i mean do you know i i have quite a cool story actually um thanks to Flickr. I landed my biggest client to date and 
who give me a lot of work during the summer. And um, you, I don't know if every city does this. I told you about this before, about how I ended up doing the photography for Glasgow's Glasgow's brand. So Glasgow rebranded itself during the summer. Um, I don't know if every city has a slogan. Does every does every city have a slogan? I don't know. Glasgow has Not a slogan. Where I live. Well, Glasgow launched this new marketing campaign called "People Make Glasgow," and I ended up somehow landing the job as being the photographer for this campaign and shooting like. I shot so many things for them during the summer. It was crazy. I didn't have a day off in 10 weeks because I was juggling that job with weddings with my full-time job. But it was an amazing opportunity. And the reason that, that they came to me, because the whole the, the campaign was kind of centered around, obviously, people in Glasgow, very candid photography, street photography, that kind of thing. And I'd been doing street photography you just for that. fun. Yeah, but I don't do it as much anymore. But I was going out at that point every weekend, doing a bit of street photography, putting it on Flickr, and then they went around uh, Flickr looking for photos taken in Glasgow, found my stuff and ended up hiring me for, probably gave me about two to three jobs a week for, for about 10 weeks. Really well paid stuff, really varied stuff, all very candid, the exact stuff that I would do just for fun. And then obviously with it being such a prolific um, client, these photos were everywhere. It was just an amazing opportunity. And that was all from simply sharing my photos on Flickr. Crazy. I know, it's brilliant. I remember a story that Jeremy Keith talked about. I need to try and find a link where uh, he got uh, an email or an inquiry from a film studio. And I think he was traveling and they wanted him to sign some kind of uh, release. And he said, no, no, you don't have to, um, you don't have to get me to sign anything all my photographs on Flickr or creative commons you can just take it and use it and they went no 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 we really need you to get this thing signed so they ended up kind of you know emailing him stuff and he had to sign he had to find a fax in a hotel room and you know all this kind of thing and it was an interior like a building interior that, he, that was the photograph and it ended up being used in the first Iron Man movie no way yeah wow there's a backdrop of um, Tony Stark and whoever the bull guy was. I can't remember now. And Rachel did they pay Cocktail. him for it? No, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think he, he wanted paying. He could have made so much money. Oh, no, well, but, it was, money. but they comped it. They comped it into, you know, something else. Um, but yeah, and they just found him by, by mooching on Flickr. I mean, if that doesn't, because I know so many people who may think that they don't take good enough photos to share with the world, they're embarrassed about it. If that doesn't encourage people to start taking photos and sharing them, putting them online, I don't know what will. I like Instagram. I, I find, I mean, it used to be that Flickr was my thing. I mean, for years and years and years, I would put everything on Flickr because that's kind of where the, I hate to use the word community because it's, you know, well, I hate to use the word community, but that's where people yeah. were. You know, that's where the, the activity around photography was. It was on Flickr. Mm -hmm. And obviously that waned over the, the years. Um, and Instagram has sort of taken over from that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel as if the conversation is quite so constructive on Instagram. Instagram. You know, pe people would comment on Flickr, on photos, um, and be quite thoughtful about the actual photography itself, not just, you know, the subject matter. Yeah. People just didn't use, they didn't used to post, you know, 20 thumbs ups or something uh, in a yeah. comment. Um, but I, I like Instagram for that. 
Um, and I, I don't care what people do with my stuff. I mean, I publish everything under Creative Commons license because I just enjoy, I enjoy the shooting. And to be honest, I also enjoy, you know, I enjoy it when people, when people comment, you know, it makes me feel like I'm learning or I'm progressing if people respond to it. Yeah, I don't know if you if you use them just in terms of more constructive comments. I think that that kind of community is now on five hundred pixels. Don't know if you've used that. No, I don't have an account for that. Maybe I should mm. give that a look. Yeah, I mean, I've signed up, but it's one of these things where because I've been on Flickr for so long, I've built up a following on Flickr have thousands of contacts on there. It would just be like starting from scratch again, moving to another platform. Too many, there's so much choice as well. Exposure, have you used Exposure yet? No. Oh, but have you seen it? Um, I took a look one day because I saw somebody tweeting, and that's like medium for photographs, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not, you wouldn't, it's not about commenting, but it's about the sort of uh, photographs in a, a, in a narrative kind of way, storytelling with photos. Um, no, it's, it's amazing. would recommend anybody to sign up to it and give it a shot. Is that the kind of thing where I would sort of illustrate, for example, this holiday that I've just had, you know, two yeah. weeks in the South? Perfect for that. Yeah, and I'll give that a look. You should. Because it's not just putting things online. I mean, obviously, there's the whole kind of, you know, photo storing issue. But um, I just, I like to see, it's why I don't follow my friends necessarily on, on Flickr or, or Instagram. Because, you know, I want to learn about photography. And I was looking at, I shot a picture of the inside of the Catholic Church in Savannah last week. And then I noticed a photograph of um, the cathedral in Glasgow that Dan had posted on Instagram this week. Yeah. You know, they're both church interiors, but the main difference between my shot and Dan's shot was that he was obviously crouching or, you know, was two feet off the ground, whereas I was actually stood, you know, normal height in the middle of the aisle. And just him taking that lower viewpoint that different perspective made his shot more dramatic and made mine look really flat. And yeah, oh, that's why I do it. I yours up now to look at it. But it's still a great shot. But it feels flat, whereas his has this kind of real sense of depth to it. Um, and that's why I, I love putting things on Instagram and, and, and seeing photos, because, you know, you're just going to learn. But I, I want to I wanna go out there and, and, and learn properly. You know, it's, it's hard... It's hard to do it on your own. I think doing yeah. it on a, on, on a walk or doing it in a workshop is definitely going to be... Just organise some more. Hurry up. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, so many people have shown an interest in taking it out of Glasgow, even though that defeats the whole purpose of the name. But um, it would be good if we could tie it into more web conferences and things. Because remember, there was a photo walk. Oh, wait, you you weren't there, were you? Did you not go to... Well, it was the last new adventures. Did you go? Yeah, they did a photo walk that time. And that was um, amazing as well. So I do think that it, it needs to, be, yeah, I do think more conferences need to, to bring things like this in photography workshops and, and photo walks because there are so many designers and developers who buy DSLRs and then never quite learn how to use them properly. One of the things I like about this Olympus is that it's got one of those tilting viewfinders. So I can actually. Uh, I can hold it at waist height and then look down on it like I would do through like an old Hasselblad viewfinder. Yeah, I think I think that I saw you shoot with that actually. 
Um, but it doesn't have interchangeable lenses, does it? No, it does. Or does it? No. Oh, it does. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I've got the standard kind of 14 to 42 zoom on it because actually the lenses are really expensive. But yeah. I've been lusting, and for no real reason other than Dan Rubin mentioned this to me last time I saw him, but I've been really lusting after one of those Fuji um, X100s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that, who is it? I might not say his name right. Have you heard of a photographer called Zach Arias? Or maybe it's Arias. Zach Arias, I'm just going to call him. Doesn't he's ring like, a bell. Well, he's a professional photographer, and he I think he's... I might be wrong, but I'm sure he's like been exclusively shooting with that camera for some time and just absolutely loves it. So I've not, I'm quite boring though when it comes to cameras. I kind of get something, get to know it, and I stick with it. I'm quite safe. But Dan got me shooting film over the weekend. I've never shot film before. Oh my God. Really? Really? Yeah. Really? I know. It's terrible. What were you um, shooting? Tran- transparency? What the hell does that mean? Uh, slide. Slide or negative? I don't know. I don't know anything about film. What was the type of film you used? Um, it was, I think it was, would it be Portra 400? Okay. Does that uh, not make any sense? Uh, no, not really. Because have you had the things processed yet? No, not yet. Okay. Well, what will you get when you get it back? Will you get slides or will you get prints? Oh, I don't know. <gasps> I don't know. Wow. I'll have okay. to speak to Dan. Oh, it's like wow. learning photo- this is... it's like learning photography all over again for me because it's a camera that I don't I don't understand how it works or this is, I don't, actually I, don't know how to use I knew it. this day would come when I would speak to somebody that had never shot film. Wow. I didn't I know. Wow. I know, because I got my first camera at 19, and it was, by by then, everything was digital. And so I got into photography, obviously upgraded to to a DSLR. Um, and now I've become a little bit jaded with it, so I think it's a good time for me to try film. But yeah, I know nothing about it. It's like starting from scratch. That's, that's good, because Dan, Dan's amassed quite a collection of cameras. One of the things that he has, um, which we need to get together so I can actually show him how to use it, but he's got a Cinar 5x4, so it's a 5x4-inch plate camera, one of those right. big kind of bellows view cameras, mm-hmm. um, and he bought one of those a couple of years ago, um, and I don't think there, 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 are, there can't be many people left in the country that actually remember how to use those things because they're, they're like really old now. Well, um, do you know how was, to use it? Yeah, this was, this was the camera that I used. And, you know, when I was in the photo trade, this was the thing that we used for, for years, years and years and years. Um, and it was, there were lots of different types of those kind of, uh, they call them view cameras, like 10 by 8, 5 by 4. Um, lots of different manufacturers, but the one that Dan has was the one that I used to deal with, which is a Swiss camera called Sinar. And it used to work in a very particular way. No other camera worked like that. And it gave you really, really precise control over the parts of the image that is sharp. Mm-hmm. So you know how you, you know, you, you love your kind of tilt shift mm-hmm. for throwing um, elements of a shot out of focus. So, you know, you get that just that kind of um, that one line of focus. 
Yeah. Well, with a view camera, you've got movements on the front and the back, and you can change not only the perspective, but you can lay a plane of sharpness down across a subject. Oh, um, I think I know which camera you're talking about. Mm. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, surely you're not that listening. old. No, but these things were made up until like the 1990s. Um, and they, they, they were, it was old fashioned technology, but they just got kind of refined and refined and refined. And this company that I worked for, they were the best. These Cinar cameras, they're just the best cameras that you could buy. Amazing bits of machinery. So yeah, Dan well, has I'm one. Hoping... Oh, does he? So you need to teach him. Does he not know how to use it? No, nobody's ever shown him actually what all the, uh, what all the controls do. I mean, you can use it in a basic form without, um, without knowing the stuff, but to get the best out of it, you really need to know what all the controls do. Well, I'm really hoping that this gets me into film and, and film cameras. So I guess <laughs> that we should wrap it up. Our dodgy Skype connection. Yeah, because it's Friday night and we've got to go out and party. Exactly, because, you know, that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> so people can follow you, Ashley, on Twitter. You are? I am Ashley. Or you can follow me, at Malarkey. To ask questions or suggest topics, you can message the show on Twitter at unfinishedbz, or you can email me, he has, at unfinished.bz. And uh, I'll put links to all your websites in the show notes, Ashley. I'll put links into your website and to the, uh, the photo blog as well. Thank you. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were The Web Is, Gather Content, and Hammer for Mac, and you can support our show by supporting them. Will you come on again? Oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh, have I lost you again? Oh, no. Skype is... Isn't it indie? I hope that the audio doesn't pick... Pick me up burping. I keep burping. You suck. Skype, you suck. I could build a better Skype in my sleep. Piece of the 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 up oh no it cut off and I was getting excited. Problems were so bad the call was impossible. Uh oh, have I lost you again? Or are we just having an awkward silence? <laughs> that was funny. Well, you come on again and then it was like a hung up or something, but I didn't hang up. Do you use it to call your doggy friends? <laughs>